Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Kid Kong at the Movies. I am, again, your host, the one and only Kid Kong. <clears throat> now, at the end of last week's episode, I said I wasn't sure what I was going to do this week. But after giving it some thought, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and go with one of the biggest television events that happened in 1989. Yeah, I'm going to be breaking from my initial pattern here and going with a television rather than a movie, but this is not exactly a TV show. I'm going to be talking about 1989's television western miniseries, The Great, The Lonesome Dove. It's directed by Simon Winsor, who was known for movies such as Quigley Down Under, Free Willy, The Phantom. Uh, he also directed one of the sequels to Lonesome Dove, Comanche Moon, as well as many episodes of the television series Young Indiana Jones. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, one of the producers was Dyson Lovell, who has directed such uh, luminaries as Hamlet, starring Mel Gibson as Hamlet, as well as a commercial flop, Cotton Club. However, the big producer here was Suzanne DePass, who, while she mainly did TV miniseries and things like that, you know, like The Temptations, uh, Streets of Laredo, which is another Lonesome Dove thing, she was absolutely instrumental in the success of the Jackson 5. Now, that's actually the band as far as developing their wardrobe, their act. And she went on to form a, her own production company called Motown Productions. Uh, she One of the ones that she put out the most, which was a massive success, was the Jacksons and American Dream. Now, this television series was based on a novel, which in turn was based on a screenplay by Peter Bogdanovich and Larry McMurtry, which... I will get more to that. Peter Bogdanovich is, of course, known for The Last Picture Show. Now, this screenplay that was developed by the two of them, Larry McMurtry always wanted to work with Bogdanovich, and they worked together to come up with a screenplay in the 1970s that would have starred John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart, and Henry Fonda. The film ultimately did not come to pass. I'll get to that also in a little bit, and was mired in development hell for a long time after that until eventually being remade into a television miniseries. Now, I'm not really going to give you a whole lot on the plot on this, and that's simply because it is over six hours long. It was a four-night event, every episode coming out, one night after another night after another night. Um, but I will give you a quick synopsis of it. Basically, two former uh, Texas Rangers who are in a small town in Texas, decide, upon advice from another former Texas stranger, to go ahead and move up to Montana and drive a cattle herd up there. And, you know, it's just generally about the ups and downs and whatnot that go through there. Um, of course, there are a couple of characters that pop up along the way that are not these Texas strangers. Like, you have a, a prostitute played by Diane Lane. You have uh, a villainous... And I, I, again, he's only villainous because of what he does, not because of what he is. But a character named Blue Duck, who is half Mexican and half native. Uh, Chris Cooper plays a sheriff coming out of uh, Arkansas. There, there, there's a lot to the series, and genuinely, it's one of my absolute favorite things to watch. So I'm really looking forward to talking about this. Now, this is a, a pretty significant cast. Um, I'm not going to mention every single person that was in this movie. I never really do, but I'm going to go beyond that in this and that I'm only going to give you characters here that were in all four parts and had some dialogue, like extended dialogue. All right. 
So let's dive right in. First character, Captain Augustus Gus McRae. was played by Robert Duvall. Of course, Robert Duvall was in Godfather Parts 1 and 2. He's also in Apocalypse Now. The 1969 original True Grit. Of course, Days of Thunder, John Q, Secondhand Lions. He was in Sling Blade in an uncredited role. Like he, He's done a lot, and he's a fantastic actor. Captain Woodrow F. Call was played by Tommy Lee Jones. Now, of course, Tommy Lee Jones is... Known for the Men in Black series, The Fugitive, Natural Born Killers, No Country for Old Men. He played Two-Face in Batman Forever. He was also in the biopic JFK, which is another fantastic movie. Joshua Dietz, who was a former tracker, a member of their group, was played by Danny Glover, who, of course, Danny Glover is known for the Lethal Weapon film series. But he's also in The Color Purple. He was the protagonist in Predator 2, uh, Angels in the Outfield. He was heavily featured in Saw, Silverado. That's another fantastic actor. Lorena Wood, the prostitute I mentioned earlier, was played by Diane Lane. Of course, Diane Lane was known for her roles in The Outsiders, Chaplin. Uh, she was in Jack, the movie with Robin Williams, where he played a, a 10-year-old in the man's body. Murder at 1600. Uh, Perfect, The Perfect Storm. She was Martha Kent in the DCEU, Justice League, Justice uh, Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, etc., she was also in an Academy Award nominating or possibly winning. I'm sorry, I, I didn't check this one. That's totally my fault. Unfaithful. Uh, personally, this is where I fell head over heels in love with Diane Lane. <laughs> Another former captain, Jake Spoon, was played by Robert Urich, who passed away in 2002. Uh, he was in a record 15 television series where he had a, a sustained role, including... Blind Faith, Vegas, now that's Vegas with a cash sign at the end instead of an S, as well as he was the host of National Geographic Explorer. Mentioned earlier, Blue Duck was played by Frederick Forrest, who of course is known from Apocalypse Now, uh, One from the Heart, Two Jakes, but he also had television roles in 21 Jump Street. That, now that's the original 21 Jump Street television series that had Johnny Depp in it, not the movies, and Die Kinder. Another member of the crew that was with Woodrow and Gus and all them is Dishwater Dish Boggett, and he is played by D.B. Sweeney. D.B. Sweeney is known from Eight Men Out, Spawn, Hardball, who Diane Lane was also in Hardball with him, as well as being in the movie Taken 2. The character of Clara Allen, who was a former love interest of Gus McRae, is Angelica Houston. Of course, she was Morticia in the Addams Family movies. Uh, she was in Enemies, a love story. She played the Grand High Witch in the original adaptation of Roald Dahl's The Witches, uh, Royal Tenenbaums, Darjeeling Unlimited. She was also in John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. Newt Dobbs, the illegitimate son of the character Woodrow Call, was played by Ricky Schroeder, who was predominantly just known for television. Uh, he was on Silver Spoons for the entire run. He also reprised his role in Return to Lonesome Dove. He was on NYPD Blue. He's appeared in Scrubs, Strong Medicine, and the television miniseries Andromeda Strain. I mentioned Sheriff July Johnson earlier. That's the character from Arkansas. It's played by Chris Cooper, who's known for American Beauty, The Born Identity, Seabiscuit, The Town, um, The Muppets Movie. Now, that's the one that came out in 2013, I believe, as well as being in The Patriot, Breach, and he also had a small role as Norman Osborn in Amazing Spider-Man 2. P.I. Parker was played by Tim Scott, who died in 1995. He was in In the Heat of the Night, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid from 1969. He's in Footloose, Fried Green Tomatoes, Gettysburg. 
Uh, Elmira Johnson, the estranged wife of Sheriff July Johnson, was played by Glenn Hady, who unfortunately passed away in 2017. She played the wife of... Oh, Lord. I just drew a blank on his name. That never happens to me. He played Hooper in Jaws. Uh, Cal the Kaiju guy is going to kill me. Well, she played his wife in Mr. Holland's Opus. She was also in Dirt and Dick Tracy and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Roscoe Brown was played by Barry Corbin, who, of course, was in Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Who's Harry Crumb? Critters 2, Ghost Ed, but he's probably best known for Northern Exposure, where he played Mace Mowbray. Limpy Jones was played by William Sanderson, who's known for Blade Runner, Newhart, and Deadwood. Again, a lot, a lot of these guys have done a lot of work in television miniseries, but this cast is extensive with the names that are attached to it. Jasper Font was played by Barry Tubb, who was in Christine, uh, the movie Mask. Now, that's not The Mask. That's the movie Mask about the character Rocky Dennis. It starred Cher, Sam Elliott. He's also in Legend of Billie Jean, Top Gun, and he too returned in Return to Lonesome Dove. Richard Dreyfus. That was who played Hooper in Jaws. I am so sorry that that escaped me. God, I'll never live that one down. <laughs> uh, Dan Suggs had the Suggs gang, which Jake Spoon falls in, was played by Gavana Harley. He was in Superman 3 while also being in Willow. He was the original Chuck Cunningham on Happy Days as well. And lastly, we got Luke and Biggs Way, who were the two characters that Elmira Johnson fell in with. Luke was portrayed by Steve Buscemi, who has had a very, very extensive career, both cinematically and on television. He was in Reservoir Dogs, Con Air, Big Daddy, Big Fish. He was in Fargo, The Big Lebowski. Uh, he's also appeared in Monsters, Inc. He played the character of Randall in that. He's also more known lately for Boardwalk Empire, but he was also on The Sopranos for a good while. While Biggs Way was played by Frederick Coffin, who died in 2003, he was in Without a Trace, Shoot to Kill, Hard to Kill, Wayne's World, he was on Kojak and Murder, She Wrote on television as well. And again, due to this being a, a, a television series, they had a lot of actors who had a lot more experience working television as well. You know, many members of the cast have won Emmys, Oscars, Golden Globes. Some of them have won Tonys. You know, they've spoken very positively of the film and of the process of making the film. They, they really enjoyed it. Again, Ricky Schroeder and Barry Tubb were the only characters to return to portray the same characters in a sequel. And while Lonesome Dove was released in 1989 and it was the first movie released, it's actually not chronologically the first story in the movie. It's in this movie verse. It's actually like the third, I believe, because you have Comanche Moon, um, Streets of Laredo, Lonesome Dove, Return to Lonesome Dove. And they've made several attempts since then to get a new and a sustained television series or things like that off the ground. It's just, it's been a little bit more difficult. All right, now that we're on through with the, just the cast, let's move into some other stuff here. I don't know how many of you are familiar with this, but when Jurassic Park was first written by Michael Crichton, before the book was ever released, a bidding war began among studios to get the rights to this book to make it into a movie. Sometimes people don't manage to do what they wanted to do initially with their scripts and it has to take a little bit of a longer pathway similar to how Jurassic Park was essentially a giant screenplay in this regard same thing with Lonesome Dove you know 
Um, the book itself was released in 1985, but that book was based on the screenplay that, again, McMurtry had written with Peter Bogdanovich. It was meant to star John Wayne as Woodrow instead of Tommy Lee Jones. It would have had Jimmy Stewart as Gus instead of Robert Duvall. And Henry Fonda would have played Jake Spoon instead of Robert Urich. John Wayne was advised to reject the script by John Ford. And when he did that, it just, it collapsed at that point. You know, the book ended up getting delayed even further because of that. But I'll get to that momentarily. When John Wayne decided to reject it, that was it. Jimmy Stewart said no, you know. Henry Fonda said no, and because of those characters and what they meant for westerns, it, it was dead in the water in 1971. Over, done with it. You know, the success of the Last Picture Show with Peter Bogdanovich was the driving factor in him wanting to collaborate with McMurtry to begin with. But once it had fallen apart like that, as I mentioned earlier, it just it languished in development hell for 12 years. You know, eventually McMurtry bought the rights back himself for $35,000 of his own money and worked on it variously between writing other books until it was finally ready and released in 1985. When they began shopping it around to make a television movie out of it, many studios weren't really interested in it. You know, at this point in time, the television miniseries and even westerns in general was considered like dead or dying genres. However, Motown Productions because of their experience, their experience with and success with the Jackson five story, they got pitched to them and they decided we're going to go ahead and go with this. And they went to CBS to make a series out of it for CBS. You know, their, their prior success and the hit that was the Jacksons emboldened CBS to allow a greater budget, which the budget ended up being ultimately $20 million. And they began working with Robert Homme incorporated to, as the, as the, I'm sorry, as the main financer. Now, Homie Inc. was actually in the process of being bought out at this time by Kintex, which is a base in Australia, which Kintex ultimately became known as Sonar Entertainment. You know, they've produced shows for both FX, Disney XD. They've worked with Hallmark. They've done collaborations with New Line Cinema, which, if you remember from before, New Line Cinema has done the Nightmare on Elm Street series. It also produced the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle series. And I want to say it did the Mortal Kombat movie series as well. The head of the American branch of Kintex was David Evans. He suggested Simon Winsor as a director, which CBS actually supported that based on his success with The Last Frontier from 1986 and the other movie Bluegrass. Now, Robert Duvall, who played Augustus Gus McRae, he had ultimate director approval for this film. After watching several of his films and meeting with him, he agreed that he was absolutely best for this role, and it went forward with Winsor as the director. Part of this movie was actually filmed in the Alamo Village, which the opening sequence at Lonesome, the, the, home, the town of Lonesome Dove was filmed there. Now, Alamo Village was actually initially created for John Wayne's 1960 movie, The Alamo. So it's kind of funny how him rejecting the script is what led to it taking 12 years before the book was even made, which led to another four years before the movie came out, and they filmed part of it at one of his, the sets for one of his movies. I just I always got a kick out of that. Now, they decided to get, in order to adapt this properly, they didn't want to just use Larry McMurtry. 
They wanted to try and get someone who had experience writing as far as westerns and television shows, movies, etc. So they got with Bill Whitliff. He had actually directed scripts like Barbosa and Redhead Stranger, which came out in 1982 and 1986, respectively. And after meeting with Motown, he agreed and he signed with them to help write the teleplay with McMurtry. Now, due to his experience, he asked for a degree of creative control as far as how his script writing went. And that went, one, he wanted to protect the integrity of his script, but two, he also wanted to respect McMurtry's initial work. By getting a degree of creative control, he was able to ensure that certain things that Larry McMurtry had wanted for the film were going to get done. I mean, he's a big fan and proponent of the novel. He was quoted as saying, if we let, if we take care of Lonesome Dove, it'll take care of us. So Larry McMurtry was very, very pleased ultimately with what he ended up doing and what they ended up churning out with this movie. Now, the part of Woodrow Call was a little bit difficult to cast. They actually wanted four different actors that they spoke to about the role, but they all, all four of them declined it for various reasons. Charles Bronson, James Garner, and John Voight and Robert Duvall. Now, there were some scheduling issues with a couple of them. Uh, James Garner had some health issues. John Voight was tied up in other projects at the time. And Charles Bronson did not feel that he was right for the part of Woodrow Call. Tommy Lee Jones, having been a fan of the book and being a native of Texas, native of Texas, was excited and signed on to do the role of Woodrow Call at that point. Now, Robert Duvall, who was originally offered the role of Woodrow Call, he turned that down because at this point in his career, that's the kind of role that he had done before. You know, he wanted something new. He wanted something that he hadn't done before that he could really stretch himself as a Western actor, and he asked if he could play Augustus Gus McRae. At that point, Bronson agreed to play Blue Duck because he felt that that character was better suited to his talents. Now, if you've seen the movies Death Wish, Charles Bronson, if you've seen Lonesome Dove, would have been a good choice for Blue Duck. I ultimately think that Frederick Forrest was the best choice for that role, but I think Charles Bronson would have been just fine. Now, the problem there he had was that he had a contract with Canon Films, and Canon Films essentially forced him to make another movie with them rather than be able to make this movie. So he was unable to do it, unfortunately. Uh, Angelica Houston, Chris Cooper, D.B. Sweeney, Danny Glover, and Diane Lane all signed on, you know, pretty quickly. They, they liked the, cat, the, the script. They liked the cast. They were, they were good with that. Ricky Schroeder, CBS suggested using him because, again, at the time, Ricky Schroeder had predominantly and prominently been featured in Silver Spoons. Once the main cast was done, of course, they got some extras that were ranch hands in Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, whatnot, as well as getting character actors. They went through the process they needed to try and get like prostitutes that you see, you see gunfighters, you see members of gangs, um, Native American characters. They, they just wanted to try and get as much of a cast as they could because while the cast members that I have listed off were in every single episode, a lot of ones that I have not listed off were featured in three to five minute segments of the, mo of the movies and then that was it. So, Moving on to filming. In addition to that Alamo Village where they filmed the initial part of Lonesome Dove, most of the film was done at the Moody Ranch, which is a little south of Del Rio, Texas. 
Now, other ranches in both Texas and New Mexico were used as well. I mean, they use real ranch horses as well to try and keep up with the authenticity here. Now, as far as these horses went, most of the cast really only went through like cursory, basic riding training. You know, they didn't really do any of their own stunts, anything like that. Now, both Tommy Lee Jones and Robert Duvall had extensive experience horseback riding and did almost all their stunts. In fact, the only stunt that Robert Duvall did not do was there's a scene when he he's riding his horse and they're in, in the midst of a herd of buffalo. That's the only time that he is not actually riding a horse during a stunt. Filming began March of 1988 and lasted until July of 1988. Now, filming is officially listed as only having lasted about 90 days. March to July, that's 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 five months, which is that's a bit more than 90 days. So from what I can gather on that, that's 90 days in total when it comes to filming. They weren't considering moving between sets and moving between spots and whatnot as far as what they as far as their filming dates. So post production only lasted about three months for editing, sound mixing, things like that. And the finished product itself was officially released on CBS in February of 1989, with the first episode dropping February 5th. Robert Duvall personally considers this role one of his favorite roles he has done up to this point in his career, and even beyond. You know, he gave an interview in 2007 where he was talking about the movie, and he said that, I've only had in my entire career a couple of moments where as I am working on a film, I realize that what I'm doing is great. What is going to be coming out is going to be great. The only other time I really felt this was during the production of the movie The Godfather, which, of course, The Godfather is one of the biggest movies of all time. Now, as I said, the first episode was released on February 5th of 1989. Episodes 2, 3, and 4 were released on the 6th, 7th, and 8th. This was a massive, massive success. I think I read somewhere that over 26 million people tuned in to the show throughout the running of it. The first episode and the fourth episode were absolute top rated for the week that they aired in. I mean, this I can't even say enough how huge this thing was. It was nominated for 18 Emmy Awards. I mean, it won seven of them. It won for sound mixing, sound editing, directing, costume, music composition, makeup, and casting as well. Now, on the music composition, Basil Podaris was the man who did the score of this film. And he's actually worked with Winsor four other times in his career. He worked with him on Quigley Down Under, Harley Davidson in The Marlboro Man, Free Willy, and Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. Not a huge fan of Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles, although I do enjoy the first Crocodile Dundee movie. Uh, Robert Duvall, Tommy Lee Jones, Angelica Houston, and Diane Lane also were all nominated for Emmys for Best Leading Actor or Leading Actress. Now, they weren't all nominated for the same episodes. Like, I believe Duvall and Diane Lane were nominated for the first episode and third episode, for example. Uh, I mean, it, it won Golden Globes. It won a multitude of different awards. It was, it was a massive success. I mean, a lot of people consider this movie to be directly responsible for reviving... Not only the concept, but the very existence of both the television miniseries and TV westerns. 
I mean, the Western genre was almost dead. Like a lot of people considered it to be dead, but this was such a success and it revived all of that. You know, it revamped the entire 1989 to 1990 television season that they had planned. A lot of things that were supposed to air on certain days, you know, they're like, okay, well, that may not be as big of a success because of Lonesome Dove, so we're going to pull that and put something else in its place. I mean, I, I believe it displaced episodes of The Simpsons at times, which is, I mean, 1990 is right before The Simpsons truly hit their stride, which was in 91 and 92. But still, that that's tremendous that it did something like that. You know, if this if this television series had not been made and had not been the success that it was, you know, we wouldn't have had things like the remake of True Grit, the remake of 310 to Yuma. We wouldn't have gotten Appaloosa. No Country for Old Men would not have been able to be made. Like, there's no telling what would have happened were this series not made. I personally love this. I watched it for the first time when it was released on... God, on VHS, because I was born, <laughs> I was born three weeks, less, one day less than three weeks after the final episode was aired, I was born. So obviously I did not watch this when it was brand new, but I watched it on a VHS tape when it, in 1997 or 1998, and I of course got it on DVD, I still have it, I love it, it's fantastic, I go back to it frequently, and it's one of those things where... There are some TV miniseries like The Stand or Salem's Lot or the Stephen King It television miniseries, which is absolutely terrible except for the casting of Tim Curry as Pennywise. Sometimes you can watch the first parts of those and you're fine. You can, you can watch the next part that same day, but you don't necessarily need to. Some people will come back and watch the next part a day later or on the weekend or something. I can tell you without a trace of shame, that there were times that I'd pop Lonesome Dove in for the first episode at like 6 o'clock in the evening and go to bed at 2 o'clock in the morning having watched the entire thing. It's, it's just so good. The performances of the actors, the story itself. I have always wanted to read the book. I have never been able to get a hold of a copy of it. I'm going to try my best to rectify that at some point. Um, this is probably the movie where I fell in love with Diane Lane. I have found that woman to be one of the, the best women in Hollywood for most of my life. I, I, she's probably one of, one of my first celebrity crushes was Diane Lane. And I've seen quite a few movies with her in it. Um, Robert Duvall is another favorite actor of mine. Of course, I've seen The Godfather um, I really enjoy Secondhand Lions, which, while Secondhand Lions is not in any way connected to Lonesome Dove, the background of the two uncles, specifically Robert Duvall's, given the fact that Robert Duvall's character in this was a Texas Ranger and was a legendary Texas Ranger at that, like the connection that was there, he was a great choice for that. Tommy Lee Jones, fantastic actor. Danny Glover, another fantastic actor. I love the Lethal Weapon movie series. And I'm actually going to cover Lethal, Lethal Weapon probably at some point this summer. I don't think I'm going to do all four movies in separate episodes. What I will probably do is I'll probably talk about the first two movies and then I'll probably talk about the second, the third and fourth one rather at a later time. Uh, I have no intention of talking about the television series at any point in time. 
just none. Uh, I, I don't consider myself to be a Western fan. Yes, I like No Country for Old Men. I even like a couple, I uh, like True Grit, especially the 2012 True Grit. I, I absolutely love that movie. But again, I, I don't consider myself a Western fan. You know, Lonesome Dove, for a very long time, was the only Western-themed anything outside of Tom and Jerry or Looney Tune cartoons that I really, truly loved. And it's grown a little bit from there. And if that series had not existed, again, there, there's no telling what would and would not have been made. You know, if you haven't seen Lonesome Dove... What are you doing? Go, go, go give it a chance. If you don't, even if you don't like Westerns, I implore you to give this one a, just give it a shot because it's fantastic. They've got it on Amazon. Um, they unfortunately don't have it on Netflix. I think if you have the stars add on on Hulu, they have it there. You can also find it on DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, just absolutely love, 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 love that series. Well, that's pretty much all I got to say about Lonesome Dub. Now, I'm recording this on a Thursday. This episode's actually going to drop Sunday at 1.30 p.m., like all my other episodes. And that'll be my birthday. So I thought, why not talk about something that was big around the time I was born? Uh, talking with a friend of mine about the movie that I was going to be covering this week, I, I, just, I really didn't know. I, I have several movies planned out throughout March as well as April, but I just drew a total blank for this one. And he started suggesting, you know... What about the biggest movie of the year? Well, the biggest movie of the year, financially speaking, was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I, I don't feel like I should talk about that. I feel like that's been talked about to death. Another big movie that came out in 1989, Tim Burton's Batman. Again, that's not something that I feel like I need to discuss. I feel like it's probably been talked about absolutely to death. He said, well, what about something big that came out around your birthday? And I said, the biggest thing I can find that came out around my birthday was Lonesome Dove. And while I had always intended on talking about Lonesome Dove, I wasn't sure when. I'm glad I did. You know, I found it's unfortunately out of print, but a friend of mine has an eBay account, and I'll be asking him to help me look for it because there's a massive DVD set and book collection set on the making and production and history of Lonesome Dove. And if I can find that, I will absolutely get it. So I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to me rant and rave on what will be airing on my birthday. I'll be 32 years old. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, next week, first episode, official episode of March, I will be covering the 2002 sci-fi epic Reign of Fire. I love that movie. I feel like that movie absolutely does not get the credit and love that it deserves. I would love nothing more than for them to release a sequel, a television series, Maybe one day they will. For now, all we have is the movie itself, and I can't wait to look into it and talk about it with y'all. So, with that being said, once again, I am Kid Kong, and I will see you at the movies.